Good morning, everybody. Pastor Paul, I've waited 365 days to utter these words. Are you ready? May the 4th be with you. I mean, I fully own my Star Wars nerddom. Um, I secretly wish I was lining up outside of Hollywood Studios right now, getting ready to go into Star Wars land. But alas, we are attending to more important, vital, eternal things this morning, the Word of God. So welcome to Romans Rewind. This is where we take 10 or 15 minutes every weekday morning to unpack a portion of the book of Romans. And this is running concurrently with our preaching series on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks of the book of Romans. Things that we ha don't quite have time or rabbit trails, different themes we want to look at more closely that it, we didn't get to on a Sunday. So, of course, we are in the middle of Romans 9. And I want to begin this morning with a very provocative question. And it's a question that is pressed upon us from Romans 9. And it's simply this. Does God love everyone? Now, to even utter those words, to ask that question, I know, is to invite a backlash, is to go against all the the cultural uh, norms, all the cultural values, even for those who don't believe in God. But if I did believe in God, of course he loves everybody the same and equally and all the little children of the world. We think about the Coke commercial every holiday season, and I like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, the whole thing. Well, we're going to tackle this one this morning, or at least try to touch on it. And let's read, of course, the passage first. But it is not as though, this is Romans 9, verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, we said on Sunday that this, the, these words, love and hate, are really metaphors for this idea of choose and not choose. And as much as Jesus says, you must hate your mother and father in order to follow me, there, there is a sense in which Paul here is speaking of degrees of love. But, but let's be honest, that really rounds the corners off the edges a little bit, right? Because what Paul seems to say is that... Um, there, that God has his heart, in a sense, set against Esau, or God has his affections, rather, set upon Jacob. Now, on one hand, to answer the question, does God love everybody? On one, on one hand, there's plenty, there's voluminous scriptural evidence, right, to say that, of course, God does love everybody, for God so loved the world. We see Jesus looking at the crowds. They were harassed with sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd, he said he had compassion on them. Um, 
we, we, we get the sense of when Jesus is saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you to myself, but you would not. You know, Jesus is speaking this general benevolent love um, over the people of Israel. And even though not all Israel is Israel, right? Not all are regenerate. Um, we see this, do we not, in, um, gosh, I had another biblical reference. Yes, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Why, why is that? Because God loves his creation. He loves everybody. I think the, the, way, the way to understand this, though, is to ask the question, does God love everyone the same? And that really, I think, gets to the heart of the issue. And you've heard me use this illustration before, that if, a, if your child is at school and the school is burning down and you show up and there are hundreds of kids trapped in there, whose child are you thinking, who's, what student are you thinking about saving the most? And of course, you're, all of us, our own family, right? Our own children. It's not that we don't love everybody. It's not that we don't want to see um, everybody rescued in some way, but we have a particular love towards um, our, our own children, towards our family. And I think if we have that metaphor in mind, we're on the right track here. I think it, it would be helpful to begin by looking at the Old Testament passage um, that Paul quotes here and about Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, and it comes from Malachi. So let's, let's read this. Because this certainly doesn't sound like a just a merely lesser love he has for Esau. Um, it's a pretty stark, right, prophecy. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says that may build, they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Again, I think the idea here is that both Jacob and Esau in their sin um, had rebelled against God. Remember, Jacob was just as much of an evildoer as Esau. But God, in his sovereign grace, passed over Esau and put his love and affection on Jacob, not because Jacob deserved it, but because God wanted to demonstrate his love and mercy. And so when we think about this in light of a passage like Jeremiah, turn over to Jeremiah 31 for a second. And... Of course, I'm going to have, there it is. I found it. Okay. Jeremiah 31 verse two, thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away, far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. All right. So as Jeremiah is talking about covenantal love, I think it would be very appropriate to say that God loves everybody but he loves his people with an everlasting love, with a covenantal love. Now, we can say that God does not love everybody with an everlasting, eternal love or covenantal love, because if he did, then everyone would be saved. And there are some 
universalists who who proclaim that and look at verses like this and say that. I think it's 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 more appropriate to say that God's covenant love that he makes with his people through the blood of Jesus, that is a unique love, that is a special love, that is an eternal love, um, that is an everlasting love, okay? Which is, doesn't mean that he doesn't love everybody, it just, there's a distinctive, special sort of love, right, that God has for his people. Now, you may say, and we're going to look at this verse actually in more depth tomorrow, but you may say, well, Pastor Paul, what about 1 Timothy 2, chapter 4? And this is, this is a, good, a good verse to, to hold up, all right? 1 Timothy 2, verses, verse 3 and 4. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of the God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now here, um, we're going to talk about how we are to relate this verse to unconditional election. We're going to unpack that tomorrow, so stay tuned. But for now, how are we to understand this idea that God desires all men to be saved? How does it fit in with this, with this idea? Well, we think about Ezekiel 33.11, okay? And don't, you have to, don't turn there, but basically it says that God does not take pleasure, okay, in the death of the wicked. It doesn't say that God doesn't punish the wicked. It doesn't say that God is not angry, okay, with the wicked. It just simply says God does not take pleasure. In other words, the deepest part of God does not delight, okay, or have joy in the perishing of the wicked and the destruction of the wicked. And so this is why Paul can say, okay, God desires all men to be saved. In other words, the, the deepest part, if we can say that about God, he doesn't exist in parts, but um, part, okay, an aspect of the heart of God is this, he doesn't take pleasure, okay, in seeing people perish, and seeing people turn away from him. He desires all men to be saved. Now, we're going to answer tomorrow, why aren't all men saved, okay? That verse doesn't tell us why. We have to look to other places in scripture. But for what we want to say right now, though, is that in, in saying this, Paul is limited in his scope. He's limited in, he's not omniscient, right? And so he's just been told to proclaim the gospel and call people to faith and repentance. And what God does with that is up to God. That's why Paul in good conscience can stand before the church or stand before Timothy, like in this letter and say, church in Ephesus or Timothy, God desires all of you to be saved. He desires all of you to turn to faith and repentance. That's why I can get up on Sunday mornings and say and call everyone to faith and repentance in Christ. God desires all of you to come to him. God desires all of you to, to be saved. He doesn't delight in the perishing, right, of the wicked. And that is in line with the free offer of the gospel. That's what God calls me to do. It's not my job to figure out who's elect, who's not elect. That's not my business. It's way above my pay grade. What, what we're called to do is to offer the gospel. That's what Paul is doing here, right? He's, he's saying it's not just people from this segment of society or this segment of society. God loves everyone. God loves all types of people. God's calling you to himself, to faith and repentance. And he does not take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. So I think this is, again, a good lesson on 
we don't want to throw away certain verses because they don't fit into our systematic theology, because they don't fit into our theological framework, right? We want to embrace all of Scripture um, for everything that they are and hold them up because all the words of God are precious. I think what we, we do want to be careful to say is, how are we to relate them to each other? We know the Word of God does not contradict itself. God is not a God of confusion. And, and this is why, in some for today, we can say God loves everybody, but He particularly loves His people, the people He loves with a covenantal, special, everlasting love. It's not my job as the sovereign to know who all those people are. What I can do is in good faith say, God desires you to come to know him and to place your faith in him. All right, hope that helps clarify some things, but we're going to be back in this verse tomorrow. So buckle up. All right, let me pray. Father, thanks for this day. Thanks for the time to be in your word this morning. Um, give us a love for everyone. Um, help us to see everyone through your eyes. Help us not to take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, Lord, but uh, may I may our heart's desire be to um to pray for and have a heart for everyone in Jesus name amen thanks everybody have a great day